Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with John Barbera. Uh, John, is, he owns Prime Homes, an investment company in San Antonio, and they rehab over 18 houses per year. They've built five homes and have a portfolio of 14 doors. Um, John, I, I really love to let the guests kind of share their story. So first of all, thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you inviting me. So would you go ahead and kind of tell us your background, you know, sort of what you came from, how you got into construction and, and real estate, and, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Sure. So um, when I was seven years old, my parents uh, left Argentina. That's where I was born uh, for the American dream. And uh, it grew up, we landed in New York where they promised us that, you know, you'd be walking down the street and like drip over $500 that somebody just dropped. So, you know, <laughs> that was obviously, dream. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely uh, an exaggeration, of course. And um, uh, unfortunately for us, we, we came with a visitor's visa and those are only good for 90 days. And we kind of overstayed our welcome by probably 20 years. So, <laughs> Uh, it, it was, it's a little difficult as an, uh, not just as an immigrant, but as an illegal immigrant to do anything really. Uh, my dad got a lot of jobs in construction and doing different things. He started a hardwood floor company. And then, uh, I was, you know, terrible student dropped out of high school. There was just no future in it for me. I got into construction, started working there. We did a few, we took from hardwood floors, we went into renovating kitchens, bathrooms, doing additions and full-blown rehabs. Started working for a few investors. That's where I learned about real estate, like that real estate investing existed. But doing it in New York, you come across a lot of um, investors that don't share anything because they don't want to train their competition. So it was just, you know, no help, no information, no nothing. So I started reading books. Um, I, the first book I ever read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And by ever, I mean ever, I never read a book throughout school. Like I was, like I said, a terrible student. Um, I probably had a reading level of like a third grader. <laughs> so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, opened up my eyes to so many things that you didn't have to be rich to invest and to be in real estate. Right. So I went down a rabbit hole. I mean, I just started consuming books like animal, just anything on real estate, learning everything about it. And I came across wholesaling. Uh, when I came across wholesaling, started with a strategy that they called the, the 25 to one strategy. So you submit, the, the plan was you submit offers to the, uh, properties listed on the MLS at 50% of what they're asking. So out of every 25 offers, you get one deal. Uh, Putting that was the idea, but putting it into practice, you piss off a lot of agents in the process. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people weren't happy, but I did get one property under contract. It was listed for, I believe it was like 85. I got it under contract for like 42. Um, and this was and, still around New York? Yeah, this was all in New York. Okay. Um, this was about probably like 10, 10 years ago is when I really got it, started getting into real estate. And so I got it on the contract for 42. I freaked out. They didn't know what to do. None of the training, none of the books told you what to do after that. <laughs> so I, I went on Craigslist, try to find a buyer. 
some guy said, yeah, I'm interested. He flaked on me and then I panicked and I didn't want to like piss off anybody else. So I just backed away from the contract. Um, and less than a month later, that property sold for 85 on the MLS. So I was like, yeah, I kind of left some money on the table on that one. <laughs> so kept going with real estate, but real estate, uh, New York was just not it. Like New York is not business friendly. Uh, the, it was after 2008. So the banks had a lot of ghost inventory. It's a lot of properties that people like left, they left the houses, they got foreclosed on and the banks just held on to these vacant properties. They weren't selling them because they didn't want housing prices to drop. So you had high taxes, high properties and low rents. So it's just as for investing was not an ideal market. Yeah. So did some research, found Texas. And out of Texas, I just looked at, I did not want to live near the coast. I don't, I'm not a fan of humidity. So in the heat. So I looked at Dallas, Austin, and San Antonio, Dallas and Austin were just red hot. And San Antonio was kind of just slowly and steady coming up. So I just, I was like, well, that just kind of makes sense. It gives me some time to get going. Um, packed up the car, sold everything else and just drove down here and landed in San Antonio. And, uh, yeah, kind of started wholesaling and went out from there. That, I mean, that's you. You really did go sort of all in on it. It's like yes, you you read Rich Dad Poor Dad and and then moved to San Antonio, Texas because you thought that would be the best place to invest in real estate. Like that's a that's a big step, I think, for you know anyone really. But but yeah, just to kind of make that leap of faith that that's going to be the best place for you to uh, you know advance your real estate careers is, uh, I mean, very bold. I think it is just very, uh, uh, and it, I think it really points to the, the fact that like most people just won't do that. Most yeah. people would have seen that as, oh, well, I live in New York. I, I guess I can't do this. Like there's no way to, to make money here in real estate in New York and, and people make money in real estate in New York. It can happen, but yeah, it's not, it's not easy and it's not the same, you know, kind of, it's maybe not the same strategies that you would have other places. So, yeah, I definitely noticed that from a lot of people, like they're, they're struggling in their market and everything. And I'm just like, so move, you know? <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Why? I don't know. And I'm like, what the yeah. hell else are you going to do? Like just sitting there and complaining doesn't do anything. Um, move. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's sometimes it really is that simple, right? Like yeah. it, it sometimes really is that simple. Just, you know, obviously any, any goal that's sort of really worth pursuing probably comes with some sacrifices. If it wasn't, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. So, but like just move. And I mean, you moved to a place that has a, a, a more affordable cost of living. Like it's not a, it's not a crazy move to make. Like now we talked about this before we started recording, but like now everybody's like, yes, move to Texas. It's amazing. Like that, that's the trendy thing to do, but it, it's yeah. now maybe isn't the right time if you're trying to get into real estate investing because it's such a hot market, but like, but you picked, you picked San Antonio. That was, you know, the more, uh, I guess, accessible uh, type of market. And so what did you do once you got there? I mean, what was your kind of, what was your strategy? You just, you started out wholesaling? Yeah. So uh, again, reading, and this is something that I, I tell a lot of people is that 
uh, the books and these gurus and everything, they always, they need to make things seem much easier than it is. If not, they won't sell anything. Right. Yeah. Um, and they've definitely oversimplified wholesaling a lot. And I just thought, you know, well, if this guy from like a town of 500 people in the middle of the United States is killing it, then I definitely got to be able to do something with this. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not that easy when you get going, when you get started and you're by yourself. So I, I tried at, I gave, you know, I tried on my own for, for about a year and I was just stumbling. I wasn't get. I, I would go to properties and because I was, I used to be a contractor. I fit, I thought that I had it all figured out. Right. I, I know how to renovate a house. So I just go, I, I'm, Bit it out, everything, it's going to make sense. I wasn't getting anything under contract. Like just nothing was getting accepted. I was way too low for everybody. And I was like, man, what the heck am I missing? So I, I started reaching out to other investors that are successful. And I was like, hey, let's, let's partner. Like I'll be your boots on the ground. I speak fluent Spanish. I know about construction. I have the time, you know, like what do you need? And doing that, I found this one this one group, small family out of uh, Austin that they were doing marketing in San Antonio and they needed precisely that. And so they were doing marketing and I was going to see the properties. And on one of them, uh, the guy's dad went with me and they had flipped a lot of houses. And I told them, I was like, look, you know, it needs molding, it needs new kitchen, it needs new doors. He's like, no, not in this area. We're, we're going to paint the moldings and the doors. We're going to keep the kitchen. We're going to just do new paint, uh, flooring, and that's it. And that's when it hit me. I was like, you know, just because I was a contractor did not mean I knew how to invest in real estate. You know, like looking at it as an investor and is very different than looking at it as a contractor. As a contractor, you do everything new, right? Like the molding is too old. The doors are too old. Everything needs to be brand new. As an investor, you understand the market, the area, the section of, of town that you're in, and you start judging like, well, in this area, you don't have to do that. You don't have to touch this. So all of a sudden, I, I started just having a flashback on all the no's I got. And I was like, yeah, I could see why <laughs> I was yeah. severely over underbidding, you know, all of yeah. these. All, so. all of your numbers included, you know, essentially, you know, complete renovations with brand new everything so yeah I, yeah I i can see how that would definitely change what you could go in in terms of offering so so yeah makes sense yeah did so you, you partnered up with them which is again it's you know it's another really good lesson for people like hey this isn't working for me what can i do to to change that and so finding someone to partner with finding someone who who maybe already has some experience in that new market like all of that is is really great advice. And I, I thought it was interesting, you know, kind of one of the things you said at the beginning was that 25 offers to, to one rule. Uh, to be honest, that sounds pretty good to me. Like when you, if you're going in and making essentially a 50% of asking offer, getting one out of 25, I feel like is, is really quite good odds. So I, I, I don't even see that as, as necessarily a bad, like oh yeah, a bad success rate. So that that seems pretty good. Yeah, and and we actually had, we were doing that with my business partner. Um, we were doing the twenty five to one pretty much here in San Antonio. We had a whole MLS offer system uh, built out where we were spitting out probably I don't know four hundred offers a month, 
Um, and we would get about two, maybe three deals, you know, but they were good, good deals. And I mean, it didn't cost us anything to, to put out all those offers. So it, it is a good strategy. The market has shifted. That's no longer the case, but you know, if at the time it, it did work, it was, yeah. you know, you did piss off a lot of people though. Yeah. A lot of people just submitting yeah. that 50%, uh, you know, off of what they're asking. Yeah. That got a lot of people upset. How did you approach that? I mean, like it makes sense that it, it made people upset, but, but it's, it, I'm sure it made the sellers upset, but, but I assume also if you're making offers through a broker, they're kind of feeling like you might be wasting their time if you're making these low ball offers. So how did you do that? How, how, what, what were you doing to get 400 offers out? Were you like handwriting out 400 offers or did you have systems in place for that? Yeah, so uh, I made a smart decision to partner with uh, my business partner. He was a real estate agent. So all the offers came through him. Okay. So we, but we hired a VA and we, you know, using the job forms and like these services that you have online that automated that you can like fill in contracts. We would just have them go through, find properties that scroll through the pictures, look that they needed work and just submit 50% of whatever they were asking, you know? And then we did, you know, it got to a point where that just no longer wasn't producing. Uh, it was way too low. So we did modify our offers a little bit more. So we kind of came up with a formula and um, then we were doing it that way for a while. And then it just got to a point where you just weren't getting any anything worthwhile off the MLS. So about probably about four years ago, we just stopped doing that. It just was wasting too much time and effort and nothing really was coming out of it. And you were doing this with the intent to wholesale or to flip those houses? Uh, at the time we started with the in only the intent to wholesale because we didn't have anything. But once we got into flipping and everything, uh, we, we were looking to keep them and rehab them ourselves. So I guess maybe talk about that transition when you, if you said about four years ago, that, that sort of offer system stopped working. What did you do next? How did you transition from there? So we, we struggled a lot with marketing when we were starting off to as wholesalers, the number one job you have is to generate deals. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to generate leads. That's primarily, you can't wholesale something you don't have. Right. And we were just bad at, at generating leads. We were great at monetizing them. We were good at, I'm really good. My, my unique ability was building rapport with homeowners getting properties on the contract, all of that. Like I was good at doing that. And my business partner, he's really good at the back end stuff, doing the title work, making sure, you know, there's if any problems sorting them out, getting it to a close. So we were just kind of rock and rolling doing that. Uh, but we were just so bad at marketing. And once we, we figured out, all right, we, we really need to transition to something else. So we went into flipping houses and we would buy the houses from other wholesalers, agents, our own network. Um, we would do a lot and we still do a lot of networking. So we were just getting deals from everybody else that was doing the marketing and they were good at it. So they would generate the deals and we were the ones buying it from them. And then, got, you know, we went ahead and flipped them and did whatever we needed to do. Okay. And I guess with your construction background, flipping them probably came pretty easy. I know you said you sort of realized what that means as an investor versus a contractor. So, yeah. um, 
you made that adjustment in, in terms of what your finishes would be. How, how did you, your, your bio said you're, you're flipping 18 houses a year. How did you, how did you kind of scale that up? How did you build, build your um, company from there? So we, <laughs> our, our biggest challenge when we started flipping houses was contractors. Um, you know, we all wanted to find that GC that we can work with. And it's just in, in single family residential, you don't get that quality of contract. And you, you tend to get a lot of people that, you know, just because they own a drill and a hammer, they call themselves a GC, but they don't know how to price projects. They don't know how to manage their subs. They don't know how to source materials. So it was a tremendous learning curve where we wanted to kind of, you know, find a good GC that's like, hey, you handle the construction, we'll keep feeding you projects, right? Mm -hmm. um, that never worked. So I started doing some of the management, but quickly on being from New York and how I am and everything, I was hurting too many people's feelings <laughs> with these contractors. So it got to a point where it was becoming very inefficient. I would show up at a job site, they everybody would just stop working. And they would just wait until I left so they could keep continue working and they kept getting nervous and it was just, it wasn't going anywhere. So my business partner, he's from Kansas. So he's much more mellow. He, he knows how to talk to people like that. So it managed them. So he went, took on the project management role and he's uh, right now he, uh, from then till now, like he's been our project manager. So he focuses on managing all the renovations, everything like that. And I focus on marketing now, generating deals, finding deals and doing the front end of it. So, it, but that whole learning curve, that's why when people tell me, you know, oh, I want to find an investor friendly contractor. I'm like, so you're either saying you want somebody that's really cheap or knows what you don't know how to do, which is flip a house. I was like, both of those are bad. You know, like a really cheap contractor and somebody that you're hoping knows more than you, that's just, that's terrible. You know, so whenever I hear somebody say, I want an investor friendly contractor, I'm like, all right, you, you haven't done this before. You know, it's, it's going to be, you're going to learn. <laughs> that's right. the damn sure right. you're going to learn. Well, and it's, you know, you're very unlikely to find some a contractor marketing themselves as an investor friendly contractor like like you said what what that means to most people is they just want it to be cheap because they're trying to you know increase their profit margins but that's not it's not really what you want you don't want necessarily the cheapest contractor because you'll probably have the cheapest looking work and it won't you know there, there's it's finding that line well so actually you know like the biggest problem is not so much the cheap work but they severely underbid the project. So when they start doing it, they realize that, man, I'm not gonna make any money. So they start looking for other projects to kind of make up that difference. So now they're working less and less on your project mm -hmm. and they're doing other ones, you yeah. know? So now your project that was supposed to take maybe two months to get done, you're on your sixth month and you still got another four months to go. So now that those delays and those problems get very, very hard to manage and you start hemorrhaging money at that point. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's, yeah. that's a huge issue. That's a good point. And, and, it, and obviously, you know, it's cliche, but, but time is money. So mm -hmm. if you can do these flips in two months versus 12 months, that obviously makes a huge difference in your ability to, you know, sort of generate revenue and, and, and also 
if it takes 12 months, like the market can change, right? So you exactly. might have had, and, and we've, <laughs> we've been in a long sort of upswing market, but the, so a lot of people benefited from those delays, I think during that time, but in reality, if you have any sort of pullback and you, and you had uh, projected that your, your flip was going to be sell for, you know, however much it was two months later, and then it's 12 months later, that could be a, a very big difference in terms of what your, you know, your margins well, are. If, if you were thinking that you were going to get your property on the market by the summertime, which is like the hottest selling season, right? Yep. And all of a sudden, all these delays, now it's pushing you towards the fall winter time. Like yeah. that pre pandemic, yeah. that was a problem because, you know, during the winter time, like it took longer to sell. You weren't getting, you know, sometimes full price offers. Like you weren't getting so many people interested. Not many people were out there buying. Yeah. Now, like you said, you know, post pandemic, I mean, summer, winter doesn't really matter. People yeah. are buying like crazy either way. But, but again, th those things might, you know, those are all my market cycles and conditions and uh -huh. things and, and can always change. So, but the fact is, it's like if something that's supposed to take you two months takes six, even six months or 12 months is, is yeah. that's a big deal in terms of the, you know, you're just your carrying costs because you're, you're probably paying something just to have, mm -hmm. just to have that project going. So, and if it, you're, if you're borrowing money, I mean, yeah. it, they'll lend it to you for a certain amount of time. So if you exceed that time, there's penalties a lot of time, right. And there's penalties that could be a point you know, over what you're being, what you're paying for. There could be a bump up in the interest. I mean, there could be so many different things that all of a sudden you're looking to just sell just to be able to break even. Right. So, I mean, you can really get into some serious trouble, you know, with not managing your time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, interesting that you sort of came from that contractor contracting background, and now it turns out you're your partner's kind of managing that managing that side of the business. So I, I think that's a, a good illustration of how, you know, we kind of, we may have an idea of what our role will be in a certain business mm -hmm. or a certain partnership, but sometimes you kind of figure out through trial and error that maybe that's not your, maybe that's not your strength or maybe someone else, maybe it's someone else's strength and you can, you know, fill in another spot. So um, I think good for you for just sort of being able to, to make that pivot and do, do whatever the, uh, whatever it, you know, your business required, your growth required. Um, so yeah, he, he actually went to school for construction management for commercial construction, but uh, he still, you know, he knows about construction, knows all, all that, all those things that have to do with renovating houses. Um, but the great thing is that he likes it. He really enjoys, you know, uh, seeing a house go from ugly to pretty and, finding the materials and finding the paint color schemes and all that. And it's funny, but like, it's something that I never cared about. Like I did construction because I had no choice. I couldn't go get a job. I couldn't go, go to school. I couldn't go to college. Like I didn't have any option. Construction was the only thing I could do. I always hated it. Yeah. I mean, it was just something that I could care less about, but I knew it just because I had to do it, you know, and right. luckily now uh, we're, we're at a point where I don't have to do the things I hate anymore. So there you go. That's good. I mean, that's, that's exactly what everybody wants out of this, right? Get to the point yes. where you, where you don't have to do the things that you hate. So that's a, that's a perfect, uh, a perfect point to make there. Um, and, and actually maybe a good, you know, sort of segue into the, the, 
where I ask you the questions of the show of that I ask every guest, because the first one is based on the name of the show being know your why. And so John, what's your why? What, what kind of motivates you? I mean, maybe it is just not having to do the things that you hate (laughs) to do, but uh, what, what, what do you feel, you know, kind of really pushes you forward? So it's actually funny. Uh, It's been changing uh, as of recently. My why up until this point was survival. Um, as a, an illegal immigrant, our fear was always that something would happen. We would get deported. We could lose everything. I grew up in this country. I mean, I, I love this country. I, yes, I was born in Argentina, but I don't know anything about that country, <laughs> you know, yeah. aside from that, they have great food. Um, other than that, like, I don't know anything about Argentina. I have, you know, I pretty much have no love for that country. It's no different to me than any other country in the world. And my love is this country, but, you know, I wasn't really in a legal status here. So it was always that fear of you got to work, you got to do more, you got to make money because in case something happens, you need to be able to protect yourself and protect your family. So it's always been survival mode has been my why it's like, and I never stopped to really have a why it was always just, I need to eat. I need to feed my family. Um, and recently, you know, in this past year or so, we got to a point where I I've been at a point where I don't need to worry about money and money keeps coming in. We're doing good. The business is good. It keeps growing. We're, we're living very well. And I, I was like, huh, So now I guess I could focus on what my why is, you know, and it's been a big uh, self-discovery process of trying to figure out what is it that I do like and not so much of what is it that I need to do. And one thing that actually shocked me to find out is I love teaching. Like I, you know, funny enough from high school dropout, terrible student, I, I love teaching people how to get started in real estate, how, you know, how to grow their business, how to scale, how to, you know, understand what their bottleneck is in their business, how to pivot, do things like I love doing it. Nothing makes me happier. So I've kind of started focusing more on that uh, where I'm always meeting with people, helping people out, educating, doing videos, teaching people how we do everything that we do. Um, and that's kind of my why now, like I want to be able to teach people that kind of that financial freedom from broke, you know, and a lot of people always, especially like a lot of the rich people, they always make it seem, you know, uh, here's the path to financial freedom, but they never show that when they got started, they didn't follow that path. They busted their ass. They grinded, they worked their ass off. They're working, you know, 24 seven, they didn't have this balanced life or this, you know, morning habits and morning rituals and all these expensive cold plunges and whatever they do, you know, <laughs> like they yeah. didn't have any of that. They just yeah. grind and nobody shares that. Nobody shares it. Like you just got to work your ass off when you're starting off. Like it's not the ideal thing, but it's what has made pretty much everybody successful. Nobody started with the, you know, with all this beautiful idea of a, you know, of a balanced life. Everybody started in chaos and, and worked their ass off and then worked through it and everything until they were able to succeed. And then they started realizing that's like, all right, this level of work can't be sustained to scale. So now you start optimizing your life 
So I want to show people that it's like, hey, it's it's okay to go all in when you're starting off and to just grind and work because you have nothing. Like, yeah, you kind of have to do that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think a couple of things you said there, like really, you know, you talked about, you know, so I, you, you're initially your your why was survival, and that was the same for me for a long time. It's like it's funny to me because I hear people talk about house hacking as a, mm-hmm. as a, a real estate investing strategy. And I'm like, I just had to house hack so I could afford a house. Like I, that was, it was surviving. I didn't call it house hacking when I was like, I just couldn't afford it without having roommates. Like it, that was, that was it. So it's kind of like people put it out there as this like amazing <laughs> real estate strategy. And it is, to be fair, it is a good way to get started and, and like, cut down your expenses and things like it. I'm not saying there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a good strategy, but it's just kind of funny that now it's like this, almost like a, a, a popular thing to do. I'm, I'm going to do house hacking so I can get into real estate. And it's like, yeah, get some roommates. That makes sense. Like totally fine. <laughs> like do something yeah. to have that, you know, but, and, but until yes. they realize that they need roommates. And then they're like, wait, what do you mean roommates? No, no, I was thinking of finding a duplex or a triplex, live on right. one side, rent out <laughs> right. the other ones. They pay for right. my mortgage and everything. And then I just make money. And it's like, that's the ideal way. Right. But it doesn't, to find houses like that, that you can live on one side, the other side pays for your mortgage. You're either living in the ghetto or you're found a hidden gem. Because yeah. I, I, I've been trying to do that. I tried to do that when I first got started. I've not, never found the property that did that for me. Yeah. You know, and like, I think like maybe 10 years ago, maybe yeah. that was a, that was a strategy that worked, but it, it, in today's prices, probably hard to, to buy, you know, sort of that multi-unit and have it. But you, I think if you bought a large multi-unit type thing, you could probably live mm-hmm. in it rent-free, but, but yeah, duplex, I'm not sure that that works uh, on its own anymore, maybe in certain parts of the country, but you know, the point being like, it's not a bad idea. It's just, doing something is better than doing nothing but ultimately yeah you're just you're probably gonna have to work your ass off to get going like that's gonna be that's gonna be the thing that gets you ahead to start and then you figure out how to kind of you know get people to help you with that growth and scale and and but in the beginning you're gonna do a lot of it you know people talk about don't work you know work on your business don't work in your business but probably in the beginning, you don't actually have anyone else to work in the business. So you might have to do both. So it, it's just, well, it, it, it's funny. Even right now I have a, I was just working on an Excel sheet. We were doing marketing. I pulled up a list of uh, 112,000 properties in San Antonio that we're going to be marketing to. And I could outsource this, but I don't know what to outsource because I ha- I need to look at the list myself. I need to look at the data points. I need to see how we're going to filter this. What, what are we going to hit first? How are we going to filter the list? I got to do that. I And I got to do that from experience. I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm doing. And there's so many people that get started and they don't know what they're doing and they already want to outsource everything. Right. And they want to, you know, well, I, I want to work on my business. I was like, yeah, we all do, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but yeah. you got to do the shitty work too. Like you yeah. got to do those Excel spreadsheets that you end up getting migraines on and, and <laughs> running through all these lists and trying and everything. Cause if not, how are you going to outsource something that you just don't know anything about you haven't done? Yeah. Yeah. You ha- like 
you probably have to figure it out first and then and then get it in someone else's hands in in a, at least in a lot of aspects of it that's that's going to be the case uh, mm-hmm. I, I i totally agree um second question for you john T- tell us something about yourself that that maybe isn't common knowledge something uh you know special skill or a hobby something that you like to do that um maybe not everybody knows oh so i don't again i don't have hobbies i've always just worked because i i just needed to do that um um man it's a tough question i i have to say like Well, you did say you discovered that you like teaching, so that may be your, that may be your uh, newfound secret skill. <laughs> and I, I actually don't like real estate. <laughs> that, that I think that's something that not many people know. I, I don't like real estate. I don't care for it. It means absolutely nothing to me. Um, there's people that they, they love it. I don't. I love the business of real estate. Sure. But I don't care for the real estate itself. Like. There's people that they love the flipping the house to put the subway tiles and the barn doors everywhere and do all that, which is great. I don't care for it. I don't care for the renovations. I don't care for what it looks like when it's done. I do not care. What I care about is the business of it. I care about how can I put systems and process together to generate these deals that are going to make us money? How do I put the systems in place that can manage the renovations so we can make money without having to go see every single one of these properties. How do I put the system so I can branch off into other markets and do the same thing? So that's what I like. But the actual, you know, going to the houses and seeing, I don't, I never care for it. Never interested me. Never, you know, yeah. means you're not nothing. An, you're not an interior designer. You're more of a, no. more of an operational guy. I, I get it. But you know, what is funny is that all the majority of our projects, I do design them. I do have good taste in it. I just don't, I don't like to do it, but I have an eye for it. And it's just because I've done so many projects in my life. I mean, I've renovated over a thousand houses. I've, you know, I've seen this so many times that I can look at a project that can look at a house and say, no, we need to do this tile, this color, this floor, this kitchen. It's just, it's, it's so much experience doing it that I'm really good at it but I don't like doing it. You know, I don't like spending that hour in floor and decor, picking out tiles and patterns. Right, right. Well, the, yeah, with, with the experience, the, the design part of it has, has become systematized for you. It's, yes. you know, you know, what looks to get good together, you know, what people like, and it's like, it, it may not be a passion of yours, but you can say, this is what is going to appeal to the most people we will sell this quickly, that kind of thing. So, I mean, there's really something to be said for not necessarily having that uh, emotional connection to, to the design itself, because you see, I mean, you see it all the time on like the, the, the shows like on HGTV when they're, they're, you know, sort of novice flippers and they want to do this like amazing design throughout the house. And they, Mm -hmm. they think it's amazing and it might be amazing to them, but like, is it actually amazing to, you know, 30 or 40 other people that you want to come and see and have, you know, 10 of them put an offer. Like if it's a very specific taste, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit from a business standpoint. So I, I mean, I think that well, makes, I, makes a lot of I sense. I always tell new investors when they get into flipping, I was like, remove the word I like from yeah. your vocabulary when yeah. you're renovating houses. It's not about what you like, unless you're buying your own house and going to move into it. 
Like it's not about what you like. You look at comparables. What are the houses in the area doing and how they're selling? Mm -hmm. That's what you look at. That's that's what people like, not what you like. Nobody right. cares about what you like, you know? So yeah. it, it's one of those things that like, I even when people say, oh, you have a good eye for these things. No, I just haven't experienced the eye that when I see this pattern, I'm like, that pattern goes with this pattern because I've seen that before in other houses that have sold. So right. it's yeah. nothing that I'm so unique yeah. at it. It's just that I've seen it so many times. I'm like, this goes with this, this goes with this because that's how I've seen it put together. Yeah. And it's worked. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's basically, again, like recognizing what sells quickly and for the exactly. most, right? Like that, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It matters to you. It doesn't, like you said, it's not what you like. It doesn't matter what your opinion of that design is. It matters that the houses that get, de get designed in that specific way sell quickly and for the most money. That's exactly. it. That's all that matters from a business standpoint. And it's the same when you go look at a house. I have my acquisitions manager. She started working with us in October and she would go to some houses. She's like, oh, but it was so gross. It was so ugly. And they had this paint yeah. color. It was hideous. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> None of those <laughs> right. things matter. Yeah. Yeah. As, a, as a, a house flipper, that's probably a good thing. You're like, yeah, I want I want people to be turned off by it so that we can get it for a lower price. Like that's at that point, you, you like that sort of, uh, undesirable design. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it is funny how like people will, will sort of emo be emotional about it. Um, when people hear this, John, and they want to reach out to you, what's, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, the best thing is, you know, I, I'm everywhere on social media, uh, but pretty much email is always the best way. Uh, just J O N John at primehomes.com is the best way. I, I, I make an, a, a point to check my emails, uh, social media, whenever I get to it, I'll check it, but, um, definitely shoot me an email. It's the best and way. We'll put that. We'll put that in the show notes for people. Uh, final question for you. What, what advice would you give to someone who is getting started in real estate, you know, kind of at the beginning stages, what, what would you tell them? Um, actually, I just, it's funny. I just got through, uh, having a meeting with this uh, new kid that's getting into real estate he asked the same question, how do I get started? And I was like, you need to network. You need to get out there. You need to network. You need to find the people that are doing deals that are doing volume that are, are doing what you would like to do. And you need to figure out what that is, you know, because through your network, you're going to be able to learn what the strategies are. You know, do you want to do single family, multifamily, commercial? Uh, what What's working? Is it flipping, buy and hold, wholesaling, owner finance? You need to build that network and bring that value to the network. I've Everything I've done has been because of the people I know. It has not been because I'm the smartest person or I just, you know, I read a book about it, like everything, everything I do, every time I jump into something new, I always have my network that I reach out to. I ask questions, uh, you know, what's the best way this isn't working? What did I do wrong? Can we partner on this? It's my network has pulled me out of, you know, a lot of jams. They've helped me do go from simply wholesaling to flipping, to building houses, to owning rentals. Now we're getting into multifamily you know, like it's been all my network that's been able to do that. So I, I tell people, yeah. you know, really double down on that. It's uh, it's definitely going to cut your learning curve tremendously. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, that is, and it, I I really like the point that you said made about sort of figuring out what you want to do, 
right? So a mm -hmm. lot of people talk talk about you know building your network as if you already know what you want to do, right? They're like, oh, if you're you know you're going to do multifamily, then build your network within multifamily. But the the reality is is there's a million different ways to make money in real estate, and if you're truly just starting out, like you really need to be you need to do some, uh, I don't know, soul searching is what's coming to mind. It seems a little mm -hmm. bit too, <laughs> too, uh, you know, fluffy for, just call it that. But, but basically you need to really get in touch with what you want out of real estate. What is your goals financially from a, from a time investment standpoint, whatever that is. And so your, you know, concept of networking with people, to figure out what that is, you know, which of those, you know, figuring which of those components of real estate resonate with you is, is a really great point. I think, you know, especially in that, that early, uh, early stage of, of getting into real estate. Yeah. You, you got to find what is it within this business that you're going to love to do because yeah. anything you choose when you start off, it's going to suck. You know, you're going to be doing, I was door knocking, I was cold calling, I was doing all the things that, you know, got people screaming at you, cursing at you. Yeah. Uh, all, it just sucked. You know, it wasn't the best thing, but that was the route I needed to take. So, and it's the route everybody needs to take because unless you come from a lot of money, you got to start at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And at the bottom, those are the best strategies to generate leads. So it's like, you got to grind, you got to hit the pavement. So it's like, you know, if you hate what you're doing or you hate the business, you're not going to do those things, you know, but when you love the business, you're just, you look at it, you're like, Hey, this is just a part of it. I got to get it done. So. Yeah. hundred percent agree. That's uh, that's really good advice. Um, well, listen, John, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your story with everybody. I, I love it. I think a lot of really good, really good points, especially for people starting out. Like fact is you're going to have to work hard. That's it. There's yeah. no really no way around that. There's there's going to be a lot of work that goes into it, especially at the beginning, and 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 honestly, probably even after that. Yes. So uh, so again, thank you so much for coming on. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, we will go ahead and sign off. So the question is always the same. How do I get into real estate investing if I have no money? How do I find deals? How do I negotiate deals? How do I find contractors and manage rehabs? How do I get the money to even buy these houses, to hold these houses? How does a rental work? How do you manage a rental? How do you manage tenants? How do you borrow money? How do you borrow money with almost no interest? How are all these things done and how are they done the right way? Well, I am John Barbera, and this is an investor's journey where we share with you how to invest in real estate the right way and how to get into it with no money, how to do this with real tactics that are working today in the market that we're in right now with things that we are personally doing. So welcome to the show. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today, I'm here with John Barbera. Uh, John, is, he owns Prime Homes, an investment company in San Antonio, and they rehab over 18 houses per year. They've built five homes and have a portfolio of 14 doors. Um, John, I, I really love to let the guests kind of share their story. So first of all, thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you inviting me. So would you go ahead and kind of tell us your background, you know, sort of what you came from, how you got into construction and, and real estate, and, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Sure. So um, when I was seven years old, my parents uh, left Argentina. That's where I was born uh, for the American dream. And uh, it grew up, we landed in New York where they promised us that, you know, you'd be walking down the street and like trip over $500 that somebody just dropped. So, you know, <laughs> that was obviously, dream. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely uh, an exaggeration, of course. <laughs> and um, uh, unfortunately for us, we, we came with a visitor's visa and those are only good for 90 days. And we kind of overstayed our welcome by probably 20 years. So, <laughs> Uh, it, it was, it's a little difficult as an, uh, not just as an immigrant, but as an illegal immigrant to do anything really. Uh, my dad got a lot of jobs in construction and doing different things. He started a hardwood floor company. And then, uh, I was, you know, terrible student dropped out of high school. There was just no future in it for me. I got into construction, started working there. We did a few, we took from hardwood floors, we went into renovating kitchens, bathrooms, doing additions and full-blown rehabs. Started working for a few investors. That's where I learned about real estate, like that real estate investing existed. But doing it in New York, you come across a lot of um, investors that don't share anything because they don't want to train their competition. So it was just you know, no help, no information, no nothing. So I started reading books. Um, I, the first book I ever read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And by ever, I mean ever, I never read a book throughout school. Like I was, like I said, a terrible student. Um, I probably had a reading level of like a third grader. <laughs> so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, opened up my eyes to so many things that you didn't have to be rich to invest and to be in real estate. Right. So I went down a rabbit hole. I mean, I just started consuming books like animal, just anything on real estate, learning everything about it. And I came across wholesaling. Uh, when I came across wholesaling, started with a strategy that they called the, the 25 to one strategy. So you submit, the, the plan was you submit offers to the uh, properties listed on the MLS at 50% of what they're asking. So at every 25 offers, you get one deal. Uh, Putting that was the idea, but putting it into practice, you piss off a lot of agents in the process. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people weren't happy, but I did get one property under contract. It was listed for, I believe it was like 85. I got it under contract for like 42. Um, and this was and, still around New York? Yeah, this was all in New York. Okay. Um, this was about probably like 10, 10 years ago is when I really got it, started getting into real estate. And so I got it on the contract for 42. I freaked out. They didn't know what to do. None of the training, none of the books told you what to do after that. <laughs> so I, I went on Craigslist, try to find a buyer. 
some guy said, yeah, I'm interested. He flaked on me and then I panicked and I didn't want to like piss off anybody else. So I just backed away from the contract. Um, and less than a month later, that property sold for 85 on the MLS. So I was like, yeah, I kind of left some money on the table on that one. <laughs> so kept going with real estate, but real, uh, New York was just not it. Like New York is not business friendly. Uh, the, it was after 2008. So the banks had a lot of ghost inventory. It's a lot of properties that people like left, they left the houses, they got foreclosed on and the banks just held on to these vacant properties. They weren't selling them because they didn't want housing prices to drop. So you had high taxes, high properties and low rents. So it's just as for investing was not an ideal market. Yeah. So did some research, found Texas. And out of Texas, I just looked at, I did not want to live near the coast. I don't, I'm not a fan of humidity. So in the heat. So I looked at Dallas, Austin, and San Antonio, Dallas and Austin were just red hot. And San Antonio was kind of just slowly and steady coming up. So I just, I was like, well, that just kind of makes sense. It gives me some time to get going. Um, packed up the car, sold everything else and just drove down here and landed in San Antonio. And, uh, yeah, kind of started wholesaling and went on from there. That, I mean, that's you. You really did go sort of all in on it. It's like yes, you you read Rich Dad Poor Dad and and then moved to San Antonio, Texas because you thought that would be the best place to invest in real estate. Like that's a that's a big step, I think, for you know anyone really. But but yeah, just to kind of make that leap of faith that that's going to be the best place for you to uh, you know advance your real estate careers is, uh, I mean, very bold. I think it is just very, uh, uh, and it, I think it really points to the, the fact that like most people just won't do that. Most yeah. people would have seen that as, oh, well, I live in New York. I, I guess I can't do this. Like there's no way to, to make money here in real estate in New York and, and people make money in real estate in New York. It can happen, but yeah, it's not, it's not easy and it's not the same, you know, kind of, it's maybe not the same strategies that you would have other places. So, yeah, I definitely noticed that from a lot of people, like they're, they're struggling in their market and everything. And I'm just like, so move, you know? <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Why? I don't know. And I'm like, what the hell else are you going to do? Like just sitting there and complaining doesn't do anything. Um, move like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's sometimes it really is that simple, right? Like yeah. it, it sometimes really is that simple. Just, you know, obviously any, any goal that's sort of really worth pursuing probably comes with some sacrifices. If it wasn't, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Right. So, but like just move. And I mean, you moved to a place that has a, a, a more affordable cost of living. Like it's not a, it's not a crazy move to make. Like now we talked about this before we started recording, but like now everybody's like, yes, move to Texas. It's amazing. Like that, that's the trendy thing to do, but it, it's yeah. now maybe isn't the right time if you're trying to get into real estate investing because it's such a hot market, but like, but you picked, you picked San Antonio. That was, you know, the more, uh, I guess, accessible uh, type of market. And so what did you do once you got there? I mean, what was your kind of, what was your strategy? You just, you started out wholesaling? Yeah. So uh, again, reading, and this is something that I, I tell a lot of people is that 
the books and these gurus and everything, they always, they need to make things seem much easier than it is. If not, they won't sell anything. Right. Um, and they've definitely oversimplified wholesaling a lot. And I just thought, you know, well, if this guy from like a town of 500 people in the middle of the United States is killing it, then I definitely got to be able to do something with this. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not that easy when you get going, when you get started and you're by yourself. So I I tried that. I gave, you know, I tried on my own for, for about a year and I was just stumbling. I wasn't get. I, I would go to properties. And because I was, I used to be a contractor, I fit, I thought that I had it all figured out. Right. I, I know how to renovate a house. So I just go, I bid it out. Everything. It's going to make sense. I wasn't getting anything under contract. Like just nothing was getting accepted. I was way too low for everybody. And I was like, man, what the heck am I missing? So I, I started reaching out to other investors that are successful. And I was like, Hey, let's, let's partner. Like I'll be your boots on the ground. I speak fluent Spanish. I know about construction. I have the time, you know, like, what do you need? And doing that, I found this one co- this one group, small family out of uh, Austin that they were doing marketing in San Antonio and they needed precisely that. And so they were doing marketing and I was going to see the properties. And on one of them, uh, the guy's dad went with me and they had flipped a lot of houses and I told him, I was like, look, you know, it needs molding. It needs new kitchen. It needs new doors. He's like, no, not in this area. We're, we're going to paint the moldings and the doors. We're going to keep the kitchen. We're going to just do new paint, uh, flooring, and that's it. And that's when it hit me. I was like, you know, just because I was a contractor did not mean I knew how to invest in real estate. You know, like looking at it as an investor and is very different than looking at it as a contractor. As a contractor, you do everything new, right? Like the molding is too old. The doors are too old. Everything needs to be brand new. As an investor, you understand the market, the area, the section of of town that you're in, and you start judging like, well, in this area, you don't have to do that. You don't have to touch this. So all of a sudden, I, I started just having a flashback on all the no's I got. And I was like, yeah, I could see why <laughs> I was yeah. severely over underbidding, you know, all of yeah. these, all, so. all of your numbers included, you know, essentially, you know, complete renovations with brand new everything. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I can see how that would definitely change what you could go in, in terms of offering. So, so yeah, m- makes sense. Yeah. Did, so you, you partnered up with them, which is, again, it's, you know, it's another really good lesson for people like, Hey, this isn't working for me. What can I do to, to change that? And so finding someone to partner with, finding someone who, who maybe already has some experience in that new market, like all of that is, is really great advice. And I I thought it was interesting, you know, kind of one of the things you said at the beginning was that 25 offers to to one rule. Uh, To be honest, that sounds pretty good to me. Like when you, if you're going in and making essentially a 50% of asking offer, getting one out of 25, I feel like is, is really quite good odds. So I, I, I don't even see that as, as necessarily a bad, like oh, yeah. a bad success rate. So that, that seems pretty good. Yeah. And, and we actually, ha- we were doing that with my business partner, um, we were doing the 25 to one pretty much here in San Antonio. We had a whole MLS offer system uh, built out where we were spitting out probably, I don't know, 400 offers a month. 
um, and we would get about two, maybe three deals, you know, but they were good, good deals. And I mean, it didn't cost us anything to, to put out all those offers. So it, it is a good strategy. The market has shifted. That's no longer the case, but you know, if at the time it, it did work, it was, yeah. you know, you did piss off a lot of people though. Yeah. A lot of people just submitting yeah. that 50%, uh, you know, off of what they're asking. Yeah. That got a lot of people upset. How did you approach that? I mean, like it makes sense that it, it made people upset, but, but it's, it, I'm sure it made the sellers upset, but, but I assume also if you're making offers through a broker, they're kind of feeling like you might be wasting their time if you're making these low ball offers. So how did you do that? How, how, what, what were you doing to get 400 offers out? Were you like handwriting out 400 offers or did you have systems in place for that? Yeah, so uh, I made a smart decision to partner with uh, my business partner. He was a real estate agent. So all the offers came through him. Okay. So we, but we hired a VA and we, you know, using the job forms and like these services that you have online that automated that you can like fill in contracts. We would just have them go through, find properties that scroll through the pictures, looked at they needed work and just submit 50% of whatever they were asking, you know? And then we did, you know, it got to a point where that just no longer wasn't producing. Uh, it was way too low. So we did modify our offers a little bit more. So we kind of came up with a formula and um, then we were doing it that way for a while. And then it just got to a point where you just weren't getting any anything worthwhile off the MLS. So about probably about four years ago, we just stopped doing that. It just was wasting too much time and effort and nothing really was coming out of it. And you were doing this with the intent to wholesale or to flip those houses? Uh, at the time we started with the only the intent to wholesale because we didn't have anything. But once we got into flipping and everything, uh, we, we were looking to keep them and rehab them ourselves. So I guess maybe talk about that transition when you, if you said about four years ago, that, that sort of, offer system stopped working. What did you do next? How did you transition from there? So we, we struggled a lot with marketing when we were starting off to as wholesalers, the number one job you have is to generate deals. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to generate leads. That's primarily, you can't wholesale something you don't have. Right. And we were just bad at, at generating leads. We were great at monetizing them. We were good at, I'm really good. My my, Unique ability was building rapport with homeowners, getting properties on the contract, all of that. Like I was good at doing that. And my business partner, he's really good at the back end stuff, doing the title work, making sure, you know, there's if any problems sorting them out, getting it to close. So we were just kind of rocking and rolling doing that. Uh, but we were just so bad at marketing. And once we we figured out, all right, we, we really need to transition to something else. So we went into flipping houses. And we would buy the houses from other wholesalers, agents, our own network. Um, we would do a lot and we still do a lot of networking. So we were just getting deals from everybody else that was doing the marketing and they were good at it. So they would generate the deals and we were the ones buying it from them. And then, got, you know, we went ahead and flipped them and did whatever we needed to do. Okay. And I guess with your construction background, flipping them probably came pretty easy. I know you said you sort of realized what that means as an investor versus a contractor. So, yeah. um, 
you made that adjustment in, in terms of what your finishes would be. How, how did you, your, your bio said you're, you're flipping 18 houses a year. How did you, how did you kind of scale that up? How did you build, build your um, company from there? So we, <laughs> our, our biggest challenge when we started flipping houses was contractors. Um, you know, we all wanted to find that GC that we can work with. And it's just in, in single family residential, you don't get that quality of contract. And you, you tend to get a lot of people that, you know, just because they own a drill and a hammer, they call themselves a GC, but they don't know how to price projects. They don't know how to manage their subs. They don't know how to source materials. So it was a tremendous learning curve. Yeah. where we wanted to kind of, you know, find a good GC that's like, hey, you handle the construction, we'll keep feeding you projects, right? Mm -hmm. um, that never worked. So I started doing some of the management, but quickly on being from New York and how I am and everything, I was hurting too many people's feelings <laughs> with these contractors. So it got to a point where it was becoming very inefficient. I would show up at a job site, they, everybody would just stop working. And they would just wait until I left so they could keep continue working. And they kept getting nervous and it was just, it wasn't going anywhere. So my business partner, he's from Kansas. So he's much more mellow. He, he knows how to talk to people like that. So it managed them. So he went, took on the project management role. And he's uh, right now, he, uh, from then till now, like he's been our project manager so he focuses on managing all the renovations, everything like that. And I focus on marketing now, generating deals, finding deals and doing the front end of it. So, it, but that whole learning curve, that's why when people tell me, you know, oh, I want to find an investor friendly contractor. I'm like, so you're either saying you want somebody that's really cheap or knows what you don't know how to do, which is flip a house. I was like, both of those are bad, you know, like a really cheap contractor and somebody that you're hoping knows more than you. That's just, that's terrible. You know? So whenever I hear somebody say, I want an investor friendly contractor, I'm like, all right, you, you haven't done this before. You know, it's, it's going to be, you're going to learn. <laughs> that's right. the damn sure right. you're going to learn. Well, and it's, you know, you're very unlikely to find some a contractor marketing themselves as an investor friendly contractor like like you said what what that means to most people is they just want it to be cheap because they're trying to you know increase their profit margins but that's not it's not really what you want you don't want necessarily the cheapest contractor because you'll probably have the cheapest looking work and it won't you know there, there's it's finding that line well so actually you know like the biggest problem is not so much the cheap work but they severely underbid the project. So when they start doing it, they realize that, man, I'm not going to make any money. So they start looking for other projects to kind of make up that difference. So now they're working less and less on your project mm -hmm. and they're doing other ones, you know? So now your project that was supposed to take maybe two months to get done, you're on your sixth month and you still got another four months to go. So now that those delays and those problems get very, very hard to manage and you start hemorrhaging money at that point. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that's, yeah. that's a huge issue. That's a good point. And, and, it, and obviously, you know, it's cliche, but, but time is money. So mm -hmm. if you can do these flips in two months versus 12 months, that obviously makes a huge difference in your ability to, you know, sort of generate revenue and, and, and also 
if it takes 12 months, like the market can change, right? So you exactly. might have had, and, and we've, <laughs> we've been in a long sort of upswing market, but the, so a lot of people benefited from those delays, I think during that time. But in reality, if you have any sort of pullback and you, and you had uh, projected that your, your flip was going to be sell for, you know, however much it was two months later, and then it's 12 months later, that could be a, a very big difference in terms of what your, you know, your margins well, are. If, if you were thinking that you were going to get your property on the market by the summertime, which is like the hottest selling season, right? Yep. And all of a sudden, all these delays, now it's pushing you towards the fall winter time. Like yeah. that pre-pandemic, yeah. that was a problem because, you know, during the winter time, like it took longer to sell. You weren't getting, you know, sometimes full price offers. Like you weren't getting so many people interested. Not many people were out there buying. Mm-hmm. Now, like you said, you know, post-pandemic, I mean, summer, winter doesn't really matter. People are yeah. buying yeah. like crazy either way. But, but again, those things might, you know, those are all my market cycles and conditions and things and, and can always change. So the, but the fact is, it's like, if something that's supposed to take you two months takes six, even six months or 12 months is, is yeah. that's a big deal in terms of the, you know, you're just, your carrying costs. Cause you're, you're probably paying something just to have, mm-hmm. just to have that project going. So, and if it, you're, if you're borrowing money, I mean, yeah. it, they'll lend it to you for a certain amount of time. So if you exceed that time, there's penalties a lot of time. Right. And there's penalties that could be a point, you know, over what you're being, what you're paying for. There could be a bump up in the interest. I mean, there could be so many different things that all of a sudden you're looking to just sell just to be able to break even. So, I mean, you can really get into some serious trouble, you know, with not managing your time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, interesting that you sort of came from that contractor contracting background, and now it turns out you're your partner's kind of managing that, managing that side of the business. So I, I think that's a, a good illustration of how, you know, we kind of, we may have an idea of what our role will be in a certain business mm-hmm. or a certain partnership, but sometimes you kind of figure out through trial and error that maybe that's not your, maybe that's not your strength or maybe someone else, maybe it's someone else's strength and you can, you know, fill in another spot. So um, I think good for you for just sort of being able to, to make that pivot and do, do whatever the, uh, whatever it, you know, your business required, your growth required. Um, so yeah, he, he actually went to school for construction management for commercial construction, but uh, he still, you know, he knows about construction, knows all, all that, all those things that have to do with renovating houses. Um, but the great thing is that he likes it. He really enjoys, you know, uh, seeing a house go from ugly to pretty and finding the materials and finding the paint, color schemes and all that and it's funny but like it's something that i never cared about like i did construction because i had no choice i couldn't go get a job i couldn't go go to school i couldn't go to college like i didn't have any option construction was the only thing i could do i always hated it i mean it was just something that i could care less about but i knew it just because i had to do it you know and luckily now uh, we're at a point where i don't have to do the things i hate anymore so there you go. That's good. I mean, that's that's exactly what everybody wants out of this, right? Get to the point yes. where you where you don't have to do the things that you hate. So that's a that's a perfect uh, a perfect point to make there. Um, and and actually, maybe a good you know sort of segue into the the 
where I ask you the questions of the show of that I ask every guest, because the first one is based on the name of the show being know your why. And so John, what's your why? What, what kind of motivates you? I mean, maybe it is just not having to do the things that you hate (laughs) to do, but uh, what, what, what do you feel, you know, kind of really pushes you forward? So it's actually funny. Uh, It's been changing uh, as of recently. My why up until this point was survival. Um, as a, an illegal immigrant, our fear was always that something would happen. We would get deported. We could lose everything. I grew up in this country. I mean, I, I love this country. I, yes, I was born in Argentina, but I don't know anything about that country, <laughs> you know, yeah. aside from that, they have great food. Um, other than that, like, I don't know anything about Argentina. I have, no, you know, I pretty much have no love for that country. It's no different to me than any other country in the world. And my love is this country. But, you know, I wasn't really in a legal status here. So it was always that fear of you got to work, you got to do more, you got to make money, because in case something happens, you need to be able to protect yourself and protect your family. So it's always been survival mode has been my why. It's like, and I never stopped to really have a why it was always just, I need to eat, I need to feed my family. Um, And recently, you know, in this past year or so, we got to a point where I I've been at a point where I don't need to worry about money. Uh, Money keeps coming in. We're doing good. The business is good. It keeps growing. We're, we're living very well. And I, I was like, huh, So now I guess I could focus on what my why is, you know, and it's been a big uh, self-discovery process of trying to figure out what is it that I do like and not so much of what is it that I need to do. And one thing that actually shocked me to find out is I love teaching. Like I, you know, funny enough from high school dropout, terrible student, I, I love teaching people how to get started in real estate, how, you know, how to grow their business, how to scale, how to, you know, understand what their bottleneck is in their business, how to pivot, do things like I love doing it. Nothing makes me happier. So I've kind of started focusing more on that uh, where I'm always meeting with people, helping people out, educating, doing videos, teaching people how we do everything that we do. Um, and that's kind of my why now, like I want to be able to teach people that kind of that financial freedom from broke, you know, and a lot of people always, especially like a lot of the rich people, they always make it seem, you know, uh, here's the path to financial freedom, but they never show that when they got started, they didn't follow that path. They busted their ass. They grinded, they worked their ass off. They're working, you know, 24 seven. They didn't have this balanced life or this, you know, morning habits and morning rituals and all these expensive cold plunges and whatever they do, you know, (laughs) like they didn't have any of that. They just grind and nobody shares that. Nobody shares it. Like you just got to work your ass off when you're starting off. Like it's not the ideal thing, but it's what has made pretty much everybody successful. Nobody started with the, you know, with all this beautiful idea of a, you know, of a balanced life. Everybody started in chaos and, and worked their ass off and then worked through it and everything until they were able to succeed. And then they started realizing that's like, all right, this level of work can't be sustained to scale. So now you start optimizing your life 
So I want to show people that it's like, hey, it's it's okay to go all in when you're starting off and to just grind and work because you have nothing. Like, yeah, you kind of have to do that. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think a couple of things you said there, like really, you know, you talked about, you know, so I, you, you're initially your your why was survival, and that was the same for me for a long time. It's like it's funny to me because I hear people talk about house hacking as a, Mm -hmm. as a, a real estate investing strategy. And I'm like, I just had to house hack so I could afford a house. Like I, it was, it was surviving. I didn't call it house hacking when I was like, I just couldn't afford it without having roommates. Like that was, that was it. So it's kind of like people put it out there as this like amazing (laughs) real estate strategy. And it is, to be fair, it is a good way to get started and, and like, cut down your expenses and things like it. I'm not saying there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a good strategy, but it's just kind of funny that now it's like this, almost like a, a, a popular thing to do. I'm, I'm going to do house hacking so I can get into real estate. And it's like, yeah, get some roommates. That makes sense. Like totally fine. <laughs> like do something yeah. to have that, you know, but, and, but until yes. they realize that they need roommates. And then they're like, wait, what do you mean roommates? No, no, I was thinking of finding a duplex or a triplex, live on right. one side, rent out the <laughs> other ones. They pay for my mortgage and everything. And then I just make money. And it's like, that's the ideal way. Right. But it doesn't, to find houses like that, that you can live on one side, the other side pays for your mortgage. You're either living in the ghetto or you're found a hidden gem. Because yeah. like, I, I've been trying to do that. I tried to do that when I first got started. I've not, never found the property that did that for me. Yeah. You know, and like, I think like maybe 10 years ago, maybe yeah. that was a, that was a strategy that worked, but it, it, in today's prices, probably hard to, to buy, you know, sort of that multi-unit and have it. But you, I think if you bought a large multi-unit type thing, you could probably live mm-hmm. in it rent-free, but, but yeah, duplex, I'm not sure that that works uh, on its own anymore, maybe in certain parts of the country. But, you know, the point being like, it's not a bad idea. It's just, doing something is better than doing nothing but ultimately yeah you just you're probably gonna have to work your ass off to get going like that's gonna be that's gonna be the thing that gets you ahead to start and then you figure out how to kind of you know get people to help you with that growth and scale and and but in the beginning you're gonna do a lot of it you know people talk about don't work you know work on your business don't work in your business but probably in the beginning, you don't actually have anyone else to work in the business. So you might have to do both. So it, it's just, well, it, it, it's funny. Even right now I have, a, I was just working on an Excel sheet. We were doing marketing. I pulled up a list of uh, 112,000 properties in San Antonio that we're going to be marketing to. And I could outsource this, but I don't know what to outsource because I ha- I need to look at the list myself. I need to look at the data points. I need to see how we're going to filter this. What, what are we going to hit first? How are we going to filter the list? I got to do that. I And I got to do that from experience. I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm doing. And there's so many people that get started and they don't know what they're doing and they already want to outsource everything. Right. And they want to, you know, well, I, I want to work on my business. I was like, yeah, we all do, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but yeah. you got to do the shitty work too. Like you yeah. got to do those Excel spreadsheets that you end up getting migraines on and, and <laughs> running through all these lists and trying and everything. Cause if not, how are you going to outsource something that you just don't know anything about you haven't done? Yeah. Yeah. You ha- like, 
you probably have to figure it out first and then and then get it in someone else's hands in in a, at least in a lot of aspects of it that's that's going to be the case uh, mm-hmm. I, I i totally agree um second question for you john T- tell us something about yourself that that maybe isn't common knowledge something uh you know special skill or a hobby something that you like to do that um maybe not everybody knows oh so i don't again i don't have hobbies i've always just worked because i i just needed to do that um um man it's a tough question i i have to say like Well, you did say you discovered that you like teaching, so that may be your, that may be your uh, newfound secret skill. <laughs> and I, I actually don't like real estate. <laughs> that, that I think that's something that not many people know. I, I don't like real estate. I don't care for it. It means absolutely nothing to me. Um, there's people that they, they love it. I don't. I love the business of real estate. Sure. But I don't care for the real estate itself. Like. There's people that they love the flipping the house to put the subway tiles and the barn doors right, everywhere right. and yeah. do all that, which is great. I don't care for it. I don't care for the renovations. I don't care for what it looks like when it's done. I do not care. What I care about is the business of it. I care about how can I put systems and process together to generate these deals that are going to make us money? How do I put the systems in place that can manage the renovations so we can make money without having to go see every single one of these properties. How do I put the system so I can branch off into other markets and do the same thing? So that's what I like. But the actual, you know, going to the houses and seeing, I don't, I never care for it. Never interested in me. Never, you know, yeah. means you're not, an, you're not an interior designer. You're more of a, no. more of an operational guy. I, I get it. But you know, what is funny is that all the majority of our projects, I do design them. I do have good taste in it. I just don't, I don't like to do it, but I have an eye for it. And it's just because I've done so many projects in my life. I mean, I've renovated over a thousand houses. I've, you know, I've seen this so many times that I can look at a project I can look at a house and say, no, we need to do this tile, this color, this floor, this kitchen. It's just, it's, it's so much experience doing it that I'm really good at it but I don't like doing it. You know, I don't like spending that hour in floor and decor, picking out tiles and patterns. Right, right. Well, the, yeah, with, with the experience, the, the design part of it has, has become systematized for you. It's, yes. you know, you know, what looks to get good together, you know, what people like, and it's like, it, it may not be a passion of yours, but you can say, this is what is going to appeal to the most people will sell this quickly, that kind of thing. So, I mean, there's really something to be said for not necessarily having that uh, emotional connection to, to the design itself, because you see, I mean, you see it all the time on like the, the, the shows like on HDTV when they're, they're, you know, sort of novice flippers and they want to do this like amazing design throughout the house. And they, Mm -hmm. they think it's amazing and it might be amazing to them, but like, is it actually amazing to, you know, 30 or 40 other people that you want to come and see and have, you know, 10 of them put an offer. Like if it's a very specific taste, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit from a business standpoint. So I, I, I mean, I think that well, makes, makes a lot of I sense. I always tell new investors when they get into flipping, I was like, remove the word I like from yeah. your vocabulary when yeah. you're renovating houses. It's not about what you like, unless you're buying your own house and going to move into it. 
Like it's not about what you like. You look at comparables. What are the houses in the area doing and how they're selling? Mm -hmm. That's what you look at. That's that's what people like, not what you like. Nobody right. cares about what you like, you know? So yeah. it, it's one of those things that like, I even when people say, oh, you have a good eye for these things. No, I just haven't experienced the eye that when I see this pattern, I'm like, that pattern goes with this pattern because I've seen that before in other houses that have sold. So right. it's yeah. nothing that I'm so unique yeah. at it. It's just that I've seen it so many times. I'm like, this goes with this, this goes with this because that's how I've seen it put together. Yeah. And it's worked. So that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's basically, again, like recognizing what sells quickly and for the exactly. most, right? Like that, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It mad to you. It doesn't, like you said, it's not what you like. It doesn't matter what your opinion of that design is. It's matters that the houses that get, get designed in that specific way sell quickly and for the most money. That's exactly. it. That's all that matters from a business standpoint. And it's the same when you go look at a house. I have my acquisitions manager. She started working with us in October and she would go to some houses. She's like, oh, but it was so gross. It was so ugly. And they had this paint yeah. color. It was hideous. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> Those <laughs> right. things matter. Yeah. Yeah. As a, as a, a house flipper, that's probably a good thing. You're like, yeah, I want, I want people to be turned off by it so that we can get it for a lower price. Like that's at that point, you, you like that sort of uh, undesirable design. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it is funny how like people will, will sort of emo be emotional about it. Um, when people hear this, John, and they want to reach out to you, what's, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, the best thing is, you know, I, I'm everywhere on social media, uh, but pretty much email is always the best way. Uh, just J O N John at prime homes com is the best way i i, I make an, a, a point to check my emails uh social media whenever i get to it i'll check it but um definitely shoot me an email it's the best and way. we'll put that we'll put that in the show notes for people uh final question for you what what advice would you give to someone who is getting started in real estate you know kind of at the beginning stages what what would you tell them um actually i just it's funny i just got through uh having a meeting with this uh, new kid that's getting into real estate, he asked the same question, how do I get started? And I was like, you need to network. You need to get out there. You need to network. You need to find the people that are doing deals, that are doing volume, that are, are doing what you would like to do. And you need to figure out what that is, you know, because through your network, you're going to be able to learn what the strategies are. You know, do you want to do single family, multifamily, commercial, uh, what, what's working? Is it flipping, buy and hold, wholesaling, owner finance? You need to build that network and bring that value to the network. I've, everything I've done has been because of the people I know. It has not been because I'm the smartest person or I just, you know, I, I read a book about it. Like everything, everything I do, every time I jump into something new, I always have my network that I reach out to. I ask questions uh, you know, what's the best way this isn't working? What did I do wrong? Can we partner on this? It's my network has pulled me out of, you know, a lot of jams. They've helped me do go from simply wholesaling to flipping, to building houses, to owning rentals. Now we're getting into multifamily, you know, like it's been all my network that's been able to do that. So I, I tell people, yeah. you know, really double down on that. It's, uh, it's definitely going to cut your learning curve tremendously. Hundred percent agree. Uh, that is, and it, I I really like the point that you said made about sort of figuring out what you want to do, 
right? So a mm -hmm. lot of people talk talk about you know building your network as if you already know what you want to do, right? They're like, oh, if you're you know you're going to do multifamily, then build your network within multifamily. But the the reality is is there's a million different ways to make money in real estate, and if you're truly just starting out, like you really need to be you need to do some, uh, I don't know, soul searching is what's coming to mind. It seems, it seems a little mm -hmm. bit too, too, uh, you know, fluffy for, just call it that. But, but basically you need to really get in touch with what you want out of real estate. What is your goals financially from a, from a time investment standpoint, whatever that is. And so your, you know, concept of networking with people, to figure out what that is, you know, which of those, you know, figuring out which of those components of real estate resonate with you is, is a really great point. I think, you know, especially in that, that early, uh, early stage of, of getting into real estate. Yeah. You, you got to find what is it within this business that you're going to love to do because yeah. anything you choose when you start off, it's going to suck. You know, you're going to be doing, I was door knocking, I was cold calling, I was doing all the things that, you know, got people screaming at you, cursing at you. Yeah. Uh, all, it just sucked. You know, it wasn't the best thing, but that was the route I needed to take. So, and it's the route everybody needs to take because unless you come from a lot of money, you got to start at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And at the bottom, those are the best strategies to generate leads. So it's like, you got to grind, you got to hit the pavement. So it's like, you know, if you hate what you're doing or you hate the business, you're not going to do those things, you know, but when you love the business, you're just, you look at it, you're like, Hey, this is just a part of it. I got to get it done. So. Yeah. hundred percent agree. That's uh, that's really good advice. Um, well, listen, John, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your story with everybody. I, I love it. I think a lot of really good, really good points, especially for people starting out. Like fact is you're going to have to work hard. That's it. There's yeah. no really no way around that. There's there's going to be a lot of work that goes into it, especially at the beginning, and 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 honestly, probably even after that. Yes. So uh, so again, thank you so much for coming on. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, we will go ahead and sign off.